So let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the blessing of sharing yourself with us. Thank you that we can have a relationship with you, that we can know you. Please help quiet my mind right now. Let me just be a vessel that I can accurately teach your word. In your name I pray, amen. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. Start in verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up, and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When is it evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it, except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us to read here today. Please help us to understand it in the original context and also understand the greater purpose, the reason we have it today. In your name I pray. Amen. So starting verse 1, the Pharisees and Sadducees come up and they're testing Jesus and they asked, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Notice that Matthew is talking about Pharisees and Sadducees and he lists them both separately. Uh, starting a look at chapter 15, chapter 15 starts out with the scribes and Pharisees coming to ask Jesus a question. The reason this is important is because the Pharisees and Sadducees were opposing groups. They didn't normally get together like this. See, the Pharisees, they were generally the more conservative group, but they, they added to the law. They come up in chapter 15, what they come up and talk to Jesus about is tradition. It has nothing to do really with the Old Testament and the, the law. It's a matter of tradition. They come to Jesus asking about washing of hands, this, this, this whole process that Gunnar talked about last week, basically baptizing your hands before each meal. And they, there's a couple other times. One, it was well, why are your disciples not fasting and praying? You know, issues of tradition. The Sadducees, on the other hand, rejected much of Scripture, the opposite, and they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't really believe in the spiritual realm at all. And so you have these opposing groups. Um, in Matthew twenty-two, twenty-three, later on in Matthew, the Sadducees actually confront Jesus over an issue of the resurrection. They come up with this contrived story about 
this woman who marries a man and then he dies. And so according to the law, the next brother in line marries her to take care of her. Well, this happens like six times, so seven different brothers. So they make up this story. And the Sadducees don't even believe in resurrection. So it's totally bogus. Uh, Jesus sees right through it and he says, and he has a, a beautiful response. But the Sadducees don't even believe in it. Uh, the Pharisees hated Rome, hated the Roman government. It was just nasty to them. But the Sadducees were, they tended to be the wealthier aristocrats. They tended to be willing to work with the system and they, they'd give a little bit. So let's turn to Acts chapter 23. There's a story about Paul there. I'm going to start in verse 1. Here Paul is on trial, and he's, uh, he addresses the, he's addressing the Pharisees and the Sadducees, everyone assembled there. So let's go verse 1 to 10. Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest, Ananias, commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? See, Paul knows his scripture. But the bystanders said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was a high priest. For it is written, he shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul knows his scripture. But perceiving that one group was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. So he's just lighting a firecracker and throwing it out there. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. And there occurred a great uproar. And some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. So suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. So they're really, they're really poking in some buttons here. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. So they're, the only reason they're teaming up here is because they both have a common goal. They want to attack Jesus. Interesting to note here from this passage, Paul was a Pharisee. And the high priest, we learn in Acts 5.17, he was a Sadducee. So an interesting little dialogue there too. MacArthur talks about the the Pharisees and Sadducees coming together. He says it's kind of like two dogs that are fighting together and then a rabbit runs by and they both run after the rabbit. This is kind of what they're doing. They're both going after Jesus. So back to the scripture. They asked for the sign from heaven. They demanded the sign from heaven because, well, let me back up a little bit. What has Jesus just done? Let's get some context here. Jesus had just fed the 4,000 and sent the crowds away and then sailed into the region of Magadan. 
So he sailed across and he's back in Jewish territory. He had just come from Gentile territory. Last week, Gunnar went over that with the, the woman coming and the whole dialogue there. And I'll come back to that. Matthew 15, verse 30, 31. Large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the cripple restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. So he's just... He's just done a bunch of miracles here. But they're asking for a sign. See, they had uh, previously written off his, his miracles as, well, they're fakes. Or, oh, you're doing it by the devil's power. But they considered a sign from heaven impossible to fake. And they were sure he wouldn't do it. So you see, there is a distinction between honest searching and hateful skepticism. The Pharisees and Sadducees had already decided in their hearts that Jesus was a fake. So they're coming to him asking for this sign. They're, all they're doing is trying to expose this. Now, it's, it's a good thing. There's a precedent in Scripture for testing people who come with a message of God. That's a good thing. But this is not that. This is just hateful skepticism. So how does Jesus answer? Verse 2, he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky that cannot discern the signs of the times? Let's go to John chapter 3. Again, the context here is that he's talking to Pharisees and Sadducees. These were the religious leaders of the time. If anyone should know the signs of the times, as in current events, what's going on, it should be these people. They had it all right in front of them. So let's look at uh, John chapter 3. Very similar story, I think. Talking about Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. See, Nicodemus gets it on some level. He understands this part. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed when I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it is coming from or where it is going. So that everyone who is born, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Here again, Jesus even calls him out on it. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. 
If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? There again, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, he doesn't get it. But notice the difference. Nicodemus is coming with honest questions. He's honestly searching. He wants to know the truth. This is different from this group that's coming in our text today. And Jesus has a different response for them. I can't be the only one who's had people come up and ask and just be baffled that I'm sharing a gospel with them. And they're like, hang on. So you're telling me that this message is the only way to get to heaven, the only way to be saved. And you're the one who has to tell me that can be like to, to, to some people. That's just stupid. Like, why would God not just tell me directly, write it in the sky for me, a sign from heaven. So I'll never forget pastor Tom short. Um, he's a campus preacher. He's, he always starts with the Bible. He always ends with the Bible. He sticks to the Bible. He's very good at what he does. And he's not really talking to, he's not really, his ministry is not to the hecklers, but they help draw the crowd. And then he has, he has people that come alongside and will talk to the, uh, the quiet listeners in the crowd and talk to them about their faith. And it's a really cool what he does. But one day I was, I went to go see him and this one guy asked a question. He said, basically the same question. He said, Tom, this is ridiculous. Why, why would God send you to tell me this message? Why would he not just give it to me directly right in the sky? Those were his words. Why would he not just put it in the sky? And Tom paused and answered and said, you know, that's a really good question that I've asked myself many, many times. Because it seems kind of stupid for me to come up and just try to tell you guys about this. It's very inefficient. The only way you can understand it is by knowing and understanding the kind of God we serve. He's not the God who writes things out as a message in the sky. He's a personal God. He decided to send this message out to us by sending his son to earth to live and die on this planet, to live a life here. Then the message was passed on to the disciples and eventually to you and me. And yes, it's very inefficient, but it's very, very real and personal. And that is the kind of God we serve. Going back to Jesus' response, he, he has this whole weather analogy. He talks, he says, you guys can interpret the weather, essentially, but you can't figure out what's going on. He says, it, you're, it's just making a mockery of yourself because you know, the saying he says is, uh, red sky in morning, sailor's warning. Red sky at night, sailor's delay. Uh, I have it on authority from Gunner that the Navy still teaches this to people. This is still in current use, and it dates back to biblical times at least. It's very simple to understand. Red sky in morning, the sun rises in the east. Prevailing winds are from the east. Red sky in the morning means the clouds are coming towards you. Red sky at night, storm's already passed. It's leaving it. Very simple. So he's saying, you guys can understand the, the weather, which you have no control over, but you can't understand current events. Jesus says signs of the times. And times here is, is not chronos, it's kairos, which is, chronos is like measure of time, time's ticking by. Kairos is current events. What's happening right now? In this case, miracles and healings and things that they should be picking up on. 
countless prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled that the Pharisees and Sadducees have studied. If anybody should know it, it should be the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus says, nope, not giving you a sign. Except, and look at verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given up, given it. Some smack talk going on here. Except the sign of Jonah, and he left them and went away. He said, nope, not giving you a sign, except the sign of Jonah. Now the Pharisees and Sadducees would understand this in context. The sign of Jonah, Jonah was a type of, or a picture of, Christ. If you know the story, Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish. And then on the third day, he was spit up again. That's a picture of Christ and the miracle of his person and everything he did. Ultimately, really, the whole Bible points to Christ. It's not just Jonah. Every story, genealogy, psalm, prophecy, law, it all points to Christ. You could say it exists only to point to Christ. You think of the story of Abraham and Isaac, how Isaac was supposed to be offered up as a sacrifice, the only son. You see these stories, very similar stories, repeated throughout Scripture. So Jesus here was talking about his own resurrection. He's saying that is the sign. So he calls them an evil and adulterous generation. That must have that must have hurt. That was exactly the opposite of what they wanted to be recognized as. They were the best of the best, the most elite. And then Jesus says no, and he left them and went away. That's pretty harsh to me. My notes get pretty sparse from here, so just bear with me. First Corinthians eleven twenty six says. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, the sign of Jesus. This is what we still hold on to and still remember. And it is the only sign we need. Ultimately, if you look at it, Jesus' ministry is not to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Looking at Matthew fifteen fourteen, just the previous chapter, the, the disciples come to Jesus after Jesus had just responded to them, the Pharisees, about the whole unwashed hands thing. And he, Jesus puts them in their place and says, you guys don't know what you're talking about. The disciples come to Jesus and say, yeah, you realize you, you offended them, right? Jesus says, leave them to their blindness. In verse 14, let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Later on in the chapter, it's brought more to light. Jesus, uh, the, this lady, this Syrophoenician lady comes and asks, and begs and yells at Jesus, hey, please help my daughter. She's on her, on her knees just begging loudly. And Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And last week, Gunnar went over her response, and it was just a beautiful story there. And he did heal her daughter. But here again, Jesus is sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus dismisses the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
Verse 5, And the disciples come to the other side of the sea. Jesus is with them. They travel to the other side of the sea. So they left Magadan and they leave to the other side. Now somewhere along the way or after they get there, the disciples realize they forgot bread. Verse 5, And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. Maybe they left the Pharisees and Sadducees in a hurry. Don't know. Maybe they just forgot because they're people too. Then Jesus says in verse 6, And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, these were the teachings that they spread. It seemed like a small thing, but these, again, these were the respected religious leaders in their society. Their teachings were a driving force for a whole culture. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5. Let's go to verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5. Talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Here Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he uses a similar analogy. Can't help but wonder if uh, Paul was a member of those Pharisees and Sadducees that came talk to Jesus. And even if he wasn't, he he definitely heard about it. I mean, word gets around. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Again, the idea is a very small amount of leaven, yeast, mixes up and it goes across the whole thing. It just grows from there. On the whole idea of leaven and how error accumulates, I have a story. So some of you know I what I do for work. I install windows, windows and doors. Well, last week um, we had, there was a custom job, we had some custom ordered windows, custom built, a couple thousand dollars a window, very expensive, large, huge pieces. And um, so they send plans out for these windows to be constructed exactly as they're sent out. And so we get the window back, get all these windows, and we put them in. And we get this 350-pound monster window that's built with a, a top coming to a point. We get this thing up eight feet in the air, stick it in the hole, attach it all, waterproofing. It's all done. Step back. The slope is wrong. The roof's right above it, so we can see. The roof's coming up, and then the window's right here. Wrong angle. Well, how did that happen? Go back and look at the plan. Somebody, some architect somewhere, the slope of the roof is expressed as inches and 12, so rise over run. It was supposed to be 5 and 7 eighths and 12. Well, somebody mixed up a 5 and a 7 and 5 and 7 eighths, so they wrote it as 7 and 5 eighths and 12. So the window was a wee bit off. I think it's still there, too. Small errors accumulate. I'm not going to make fun of dyslexic people, but 7 5 8 5 and 7 8 makes a big mess. 
So, so Jesus says this to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the disciples don't get it. But we're not surprised because they don't usually get it. Verse 7, they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, he said that because we did not bring any bread. And don't miss the humor here. They completely missed this. Jesus didn't even say the word bread. He's talking about leaven. They seem to think that Jesus is giving them some sort of weird, you shouldn't have forgotten the food parable. And they're just like, what's he talking about? They're grasping for meaning there. But they're attacking it from totally the wrong angle because they're completely in the physical realm. They're not thinking spiritual at all. So again, chapter 15, they have to come to Jesus and ask him to explain the parable. And Jesus is like, you guys don't get it again? Then he explains it. Here, Jesus kind of takes the initiative and says, you guys don't get it, do you? Verse 8, but Jesus, aware of this, the fact they didn't understand, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? A lot of cool stuff in that answer from Jesus. Again, notice how Jesus has a a reply for the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he has a reply for the disciples according to their heart. Jesus knows their heart. So basically Jesus is saying, guys, I just fed 4,000 people. You're worried that the 12 of you didn't bring bread. I think that's funny. It's like they're worried about this, and Jesus is like, guys, I, I can take care of the bread issue. Just You're thinking on totally the wrong plane. So Jesus gets that out of the way and says, and gets right to the heart of it and set, repeats himself, essentially. Let's kind of get their brains the right way. Notice that uh, it's two separate feedings. He fed the five loaves of 5,000 and seven loaves of the 4,000. Liberal scholars will... Uh, I'll come at the story of the feeding of 5,000 and say it was actually, it was, it was one story. It's just somewhere in the translation or, or the copying of the scriptures over it just got duplicated. Now we've got two. No, it was one. It was two. No. Five loaves, 5,000. Seven loaves, 4,000. Gunner made a point to call me all the way from Israel to tell me that they use a different word for baskets. It's both, they're both translated baskets in English. But you see, the one time was to the Gentiles. The second feeding was to the Jews. Reminds me how the Pharisees and Sadducees kind of treated scriptures. The Pharisees tended to be more conservative, but they added to it. Well, the Sadducees didn't even believe in the spiritual realm. They disregarded much of scripture. So we see the same thing repeated in current days. The Sadducees would be the liberal scholars. So Jesus says, How do you not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Finally, disciples get it. Verse 12. 
Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Notice that Jesus, in all his power, still let the disciples figure out things on their own. He led them to the knowledge, but did not force it on them. And so it's the same with us. Again, a personal God who wants to speak right to our hearts. Doesn't want to give us a message in the sky. He could. And honestly, when, when you're a Christian and you do look at the sky, you can see his handiwork in the sky. It's a matter of perspective. But God does not force himself on anybody. So the big question that Gunnar always asks, so what? We've read this whole passage about how Pharisees and Sadducees don't get it, even though they're the religious leaders and they should, even though they're the most elite religious leaders and they should. They've studied the scriptures from basically the time they were babies and miss it. But then Jesus' closest friends, they miss it too. They miss it by a long shot. They don't even come close. Well, the truth is, we're all in one of those camps somehow. Maybe both at the same time. I've been raised in the Christian church all my life. I consider myself close with Jesus. I can still miss it. Because I need to count, I need to put my faith in Jesus every day and trust him for spiritual sight. It kind of reminds me, there's an awesome story in Second uh, Kings. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Talking about Elisha. He... Uh, his servant is freaking out because outside his, they're outside the, the city. They're they're surrounded by the enemy, and they're just coming at him, hard, and he's freaking out. And Elisha's like, let's chill, he's, he's not worried about it. Elisha sees what's going on. And he's like, he prays and says, God, will you open his eyes, his servant's eyes? God opens the servant's eyes, and he sees an even bigger army. God's God's fighters, flaming. Uh, swords of fire and horses, the spiritual realm that he couldn't see before. We're almost completely blind in the spiritual realm. Another passage that comes to my mind is where Paul is talking about how we now see dimly, but then we will see face to face. I love that passage because it it reminds me that we we can trust. Even though we can't see the spiritual realm very clearly, we can trust Jesus who can. And we can Ask him for the spiritual sight. So, trust in Jesus for spiritual sight. With that, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for for being with us. Thank you that even though we don't see so much of the spiritual realm, Thank you that you do know what's going on, that we can trust you because you are good and your plan is the best. Please help us to avoid the trap of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the, the, the adding to your word or removing from it. Help us to stick close to you so that we can get through. I pray that we could learn from this passage, we could retain, we could bring something over to this current week. Please protect Gunner and the rest of the crew as they're in Israel. Bring them back safely. In your name I pray, amen.